Worried about letting someone else pick out the perfect avocado for your perfect impress them on the third date guacamole? Well, good thing Instacart shoppers are as picky as you are. They find ripe avocados like it's their guac on the line. They are milk expiration date detectives. They bag eggs like the 12 precious pieces of cargo they are. So let Instacart shoppers overthink your groceries so that you can overthink what you'll wear on that third date. Download the Instacart app to get free delivery on your first three orders while supplies last. Minimum $10 per order. Additional terms apply. KMOX is at your service. Welcome to the St. Louis Composting Garden Hotline. Now, here's your host, Mike Miller on KMOX. Yes, folks, good gardening. We are live and lively from St. Louis Composting Valley Park location, which is on Elam Avenue, just north of 44, between really 44 and... uh, where? The Merrimack River? No, 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 no. It doesn't matter. But it's right on one. So Elam is right off 141. There's a stoplight. You don't have to worry about it. All the construction seems to be done road-wise, but there's some construction right here by St. Louis Composting. So, But it doesn't interfere with your ability to come out. And today's a perfect day to come to St. Louis Composting, any of the locations, because... They're not overloaded with work because of the weather and everything else. So if you have questions or concerns or comments, you stop by St. Louis Composting. The locations are, of course, the Valley Park location where we are, Belleville facility, that's on Mine Hall Road, Florissant facilities on County Park Road, Maryland Heights facility, Pacific facility, and the City of St. Louis facility. So all kinds of other stuff going on in the outdoors. Just thank goodness for the rain. No, we wanted to have a dry day so we could be here at St. Louis Composting and go around and sniff all the piles of all the organic matter and everything else. And I did walk around and do some sniffing, but I didn't do a whole lot because I was getting kind of soaked. Remember, this is your show, and we're going to be talking about your landscape, your lawn, your gardens, your houseplants, or whatever's on your mind. And uh, we're going to try to make... I'm going to try to share information with you so you can make good sound decisions. Remember, healthy plants mean work, timing, and information. So 314-436-7900 or 1-800-925-1120. The true brains behind this live and lively broadcast this week in studio producing is Greg and Zach. Always takes two people because my show is so difficult. And Ryan, he's here doing the remote engineering. So... I've done a lot of shows with Ryan over the years, so he knows I'm a little bit difficult to work with. No, he can handle it. But I'm Mike Miller. I've been doing the Garden Hotline since 1994, and I've written five gardening books. Two are currently available at various locations, and I do write articles for the Missouri Gardener magazine. If you'd like for me to come to your home and do what I call a walk and talk, which is a aesthetic problem solving or anything else, you can go to my website, the Good Gardening Stroll page. That's where the monthly updates are, but the home page is where my phone number and email address is. After the show today, I'm headed out to Wentzville. So rain or shine, I come, sleet, snow, anything else. If it's too icy, I probably won't, but I don't think this is going to turn to ice. Today's Good Gardening Stroll, which is... Brought to you by St. Louis Composting, 636-861-3344. The clouds north-northeast were blowing to the south-southwest. 
grayness, the color of the early morning, but not here at St. Louis Composting. It's dark, organic colors. It's always the color of the day and night here at St. Louis Composting. Tractor trailers sit ready to roll to spread material, organic material, throughout the metropolitan area. And uh, it's a greener place. That's what it's all about. One front loader scoops and moves. Bag material waits for, to find a new home. So they have bag mulches and composts and all kinds of other things as well. Quonsets offer weather protection for some of the products. A truck full of green waste dumps. The same day, the very stuff will sit there and maybe that will end up in your landscape. After the cooking and testing, they do test everything. They send samples to have it tested in a lab as well. As I got out of my car, because I was, uh, you know, it was raining pretty darn hard. I stood under the entranceway to here at St. Louis Composting. And the tin roof, boy, the sound of the rhythm of the rain was just absolutely perfect. Plantings around the building, which are boulder-edged, viburnums, miscanthus, raining enough to make the miscanthus almost weep. There's some cedars and hornbeams, and there's an orange-flowered canna. And that's the standout among the other landscape plants in the area. Pavement, you would think... Uh, or all this organic stuff and everything else is really clean. It's kind of amazing. I walked all the way around the Quonset huts and everything else, and uh, just it's just absolutely amazing. If you want to do core aeration and you want to spread some compost afterwards, and you can't, uh, I don't know how to do this or anything else. They actually do rent top dressing machines here. So you just fill, put the compost in the machine and you just walk along with it and it spreads it exactly what is needed. Also, St. Louis Composting has a new product. They do sell various types of lands, landscape rock as well. But St. Louis Composting, if you have any questions or concerns about your outdoors, you can call me, of course, at 314-436-7900 or 1-800-925-1120. If you have questions about St. Louis composting locations and hours and everything else, well, you can call them at 636-861-3344. So all kinds of different stuff going on today. It's absolutely amazing. We were already ahead on the amount of rainfall. Even though we had those dry spells throughout the year and everything else, it seems like we were behind. But no, and th you know, I'm glad this rain came because it was starting to get a little bit dry. What I used in my own landscape to determine how dry it is actually getting is uh, I have this gold moss or sedum acre. And the sedum acre, when it gets dry, and you think sedums never get dry, but yes, they do. When it gets dry, it loses its darker, greener color and almost turns like a pale greenish white. And my, you know, sedum gold moss was starting to do that. So last Wednesday when I was uh, out working in the yard, I watered it really well. It turned it to green. And now with all this rain, it will be perfectly green. So if you do have any questions or concerns, 314-436-7900 or 1-800-925-1120. Let's get Margie in before we get a break. Margie, how are you today? How about you? Very good. Um, I have two questions. I took out my knockout roses, and I'm wondering what to replace them with. And the other thing is all these uh, different things that are in the yard and makes it so hard to mow. So um, I'm, I'm just going to listen on the radio, and you can talk 
that way. Is that agreeable? Sure. I mean, why did you take out your roses? Because of uh, rosette disease. Oh. Well, if you want to put back, you know, rose, I mean, if you want to put back some knockout roses, you can, because it is transmitted by spider mites. So if you got rid of them, the plants entirely, there should not be any residual effect or impact really? of this rose rosette. Oh, everything I read was that uh, get them out, get rid of it, and don't put roses back there. So I was wondering what to put there. I well, mean, I mean, it's... Ro oh, go ahead. Roses. Well, so, if you don't want to put roses in, there's a plant called Potentilla. P-O-T-E-N-T-I-L-L-A. It's a yellow flowered shrub. It stays relatively, so there's several different varieties, but one of them stays relatively small, two to three feet, and it pretty much flowers all summer long. Oh, really? Okay. Yeah. Potentilla. All right. Right. And as far as the things that are in your lawn that makes it difficult to mow, uh, that's probably various weeds. And so, you know, to figure out what kind of weeds there are and then what you need to do with a weed circumstance, it could be post-emergence. So in other words, spraying herbicides on the weeds, like broadleaf weeds or something like that with a weed be gone, or a pre-emergent, which would be something that you would apply either depending upon what type of weeds you have, either when the forsythia is in bloom in the springtime or basically a couple of weeks prior to this in mid to late August for the, let's say, for the wintertime, the cool season weeds. Okay. So you so, have to really find out what you have before you can just kind of just go out there and start, you know, shotgunning, unless you just want to kill off everything, and I don't think you want to do that. <laughs> yes. Okay, so Weed Be Gone would be in the fall, and the pre-emergent is in spring. Is that right? No, Weed Be Gone can be applied at any time. Oh, okay. So the pre-emergent is twice a year, once in the spring, once in August. Oh. So there's two different w annual weeds. One's a warm season weed, so uh -huh. those are the ones that you know, are really, let's say, the crabgrass and all that kind of stuff. And then there's cool season weeds, which is like henbit and things along that line. So they germinate at different times, they grow at different times, and the cool season weeds die off when it starts getting warm in late to mid-spring, depending upon. And then, the, you know, the other one dies off when the weather gets too, uh, too cold. So the crabgrass, you know, is kind of on its downhill side. Once the weather starts getting cooler and cooler and cooler, it'll disappear. Okay. All right. Thank you, Mike. Certainly. Thanks for calling. Mike Miller, KMOX Garden Hotline, back after these messages. Welcome back to the St. Louis Composting Garden Hotline. Once again, here's Mike Miller on KMOX. Yes, folks, we are live and lively from St. Louis Composting, the headquarters here in Valley Park on Elam Avenue, which is just north of 44. It's on the west side of 141. There's a stoplight, so you don't have to worry about getting here, no matter what direction you're coming from. So they've got locations throughout the metropolitan area. Let's go to Alhambra, Illinois, and go into Ron's yard. Ron, how are you today? I'm good, Mike. How are you? Very good. I love your show. Listen every Saturday. Well, thanks for having me on your show. Um, one of my kids built a house last summer, and unfortunately, we didn't get around to seeding his lawn until early November. So, Ooh. as you can imagine, uh, we've got kind of a spotty stand. 
what I was thinking of doing, it, it was a two acre lot. What I was thinking of doing is having a, a bunch of compost delivered and spreading uh, grass seed and then uh, using one of the, the machines from the Belleville location, uh, spread the compost uh, lightly over the top of that. Uh, is that about, does that make sense to you or should I take a different approach? I think that part is fine. There's one part that you're missing, though. You should get something called a core aerator, either lawn service or rent one yourself, and core aerate your lawn or his lawn or their lawn before you do anything else prior to that. What that's going to do, and is this new construction, I'm assuming? Yes, it is. So the soil is so compacted that it's probably going to be really brutal, even if you would get to the timing and everything exactly right. So the core aeration will open up. It takes plugs out of the ground. Then when you put the seed down and the compost down, that the compost will fall down in the holes and it will start, you know, let's say, aerating your soil because your soil is so compacted, it's going to be very difficult for lawn not to necessarily just germinate, but to survive, let's say, our weather and everything else. So core aeration, seeding, and then composting on top of that would be probably what I'd recommend. Okay. Uh, as far as the thickness of the composting, what do you think, uh, like a quarter inch? Uh, yeah, between a quarter like or a half inch. Yeah, something along that line, that's plenty. And also, if you're seeding a lawn, just realize even under ideal you know, conditions, especially here in you know, our region, you're probably going to have to overseed every May and every September for multiple years before you're going to get a thick lawn. Yeah, yeah, I've, I've heard you say that before. It's, it's not a right. one-year kind of thing, so... No, it isn't. Okay, and this is this is about the time of year to be doing that, right? Yeah, get it, uh, you know, sooner the better because we don't know what our weather is going to be like. Yeah, if it ever stops raining, so. <laughs> well, I mean, there, I mean, those forecasts on the Internet are saying it's going to be a severely cold, cold winter, blah, 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 blah. And who knows, you know, because you just yeah. don't. Yeah. Okay. Thanks, Mike. I appreciate it. Yep, certainly. And now let's go to Dave, and Dave is in St. Peter's. Dave, how are you today? Oh, I just couldn't be any better. Thank you for asking. Great. Um, I've got it. I've got an interesting problem in my backyard. I had these uh, little, what I thought were little volunteer trees growing in my backyard all over everywhere. And finally I gave up trying to cut them down and kill them, and I took one over to the Missouri Extension Service, and they told me it was a black sycamore weed and that roundup would kill them so i tried roundup on them and it knocked it back really well but they're coming back have you ever heard of that a black sycamore uh, weed uh sycamore let's see not you know i mean not necessarily i'm not you know i'm not familiar with that particular variety but if they're identifying as that and you know basically Probably the ones that you put the Roundup on ha were killed, but in essence, the, there's other ones coming up. So that's probably, it's not the ones that you've sprayed, because Roundup should kill them, you know, let's see, Sycamore, hmm. Roundup so which, was kind of a last resort for me. Yeah, because, I mean, I'm assuming you're just, you can either use a sponge or a paintbrush and just paint it right onto the plant so you don't have, a, you know, a dead spot around it. They're literally coming out to where I killed them. As soon as I knew they I were mean, dying, I ran the lawnmower over them, and uh, 
and they're coming back out out of the spot where the where the weed where the stumps are. Well, then probably what you should do is use change the variety of Roundup you're using. There's two different ones. One's for killing woody plants, and the other one's just regular Roundup for killing herbaceous plants. So get the okay. Roundup. It'll say poison ivy killer and you know woody plant killer. Use that one. Okay, we'll give it a try. Because I mean, sycamore. Thanks. You know, black black sycamore. I don't know black sycamores at all. I know regular sycamores. I mean, they're all over the place. They use them for street trees and everything else. But well, I've got a sycamore, sycamore in the backyard, and, I, and it, they've got the same leaves, and they have thorns on them. And I don't know that my sycamore tree has thorns on the branches. Oh, so you actually have black, you have black locust, not black sycamore. Black locust? Yes, okay. L-O-C-U-S-T. Okay. Once you said it has the thorns, that's you know, a native one. They're ferocious as far as seeding and everything else. No kidding. Yeah, so sycamore, no, you don't have. Because when you were saying black sycamore, I was really confused. I was thinking, hmm, you know, maybe I'm not well, as smart leaves, as I'm thinking. These leaves look like my, my sycamore tree. Maybe my sycamore tree is actually a locust. <laughs> but, but That's there's probably no the case. On my sycamore. There's no thorns on my sycamore tree. Yeah, there's, I mean, it's generally, they, you know, some of them will have thorns. Some of them have really, I mean, black locusts have huge thorns sometimes. They'll have thorns, you, yeah. know, two, you know, two inches in size. The locust trees in general have big clusters. They're in the bean family, so they'll have clusters of white flowers. Yeah. And they're, okay. they're, they're really obvious when they're in flower. Where the sycamore tree, you don't really see its flowers. All you end up seeing is the little balls that hang up, you know, which are the, actually the seeds. It's very difficult uh -huh. to see a sycamore in flower. Yeah, you have to handle them with gloves. Yeah, right. Otherwise, so, they'll bite you. Yeah, so in other words, get the Roundup for killing poison ivy and woody plants. Don't use regular Roundup. All right, I'll give it a try. Thank you. Okay. Yep, good luck with that. If anybody else has any questions or concerns, 314-436-7900 or 1-800-925-1120. Mike Miller, we are live and lively from St. Louis Composting Headquarters here in Valley Park. If you'd like to come by and say hi or just wave or whatever, please do that. We'll be back after these messages. This is the St. Louis Composting Garden Hotline with your host, Mike Miller on KMOX. Yes, speaking of St. Louis composting, we're in the Valley Park location. It's one of six or seven or eight or nine or 10 or 11, 12. I don't know how many they have. No, they have six. But uh, joining me right now is Sarah. And Sarah has been here for five and a half years. And she's like the sort of the, I guess, the translator from the compost world to the radio world. So, Sarah, how are you today? Good. How are you doing, Mike? Good, very good. What's going on out here besides rain? Besides rain, um... We're just loading trucks up with STA certified field and turf compost so they can start top dressing and corrugating their lawns. Right. I mean, that's people just don't understand. They look at dirt or soil or whatever, and they don't realize it's alive and it needs to be regenerated. And especially like that call I just took from a gentleman who was brand new construction, his son. And I mean, the soil is so compacted, you got to start basically all over again. Right. And that's the way to do it is with compost. Absolutely. And the S, what is it? STL? STA certified. It oh. stands for seal of testing assurance. And it just means it's certified by the U.S. Composting Council. And we get our compost tested every month. Every month. 
And do you t- do on-site testing here too? We do, yes. That's what I, because I keep saying that you not only test here, but you also send it to places to make sure that something has been missed. And I remember a couple years ago where you took a product off the market because they found or you found something that wasn't really all that good in it. So it's not like you're just going to kind of sneak and, you know, okay, go ahead and take this. We'll just reduce the price. That's a nice thing. Patrick set this whole you know, company up, and I've known him way before St. Louis Composting, with the idea that he just wanted top-quality products, top-quality staff at all locations and everything else. Absolutely. He's still like that today. So. Right. We take great pride in the company. Absolutely. And you can just tell, I mean, just like I said, you would think a place that's just filled with compost or mulch, <laughs> the, the pavement and everything else would be filthy and everything, but it's not. No. It's amazing. Absolutely not, no. <laughs> it is spick and span. So now what's, you, what's your actually, let's say, purpose here with the company? I do all the marketing, events, social media, you name it. We're a lot of hats here. I bet. And, uh, you know, you're doing a great job. So Thank you. Thanks a lot, Sarah. Good to talk to you, and I'll talk to you again next hour. Thanks, Mike. Yep. And now let's go to Chesterfield and into Tom's yard. Hi, Tom. Tom, uh, thanks, Dave, for taking the call. I have about a 40-foot white pine in my backyard, and when I was trimming on it, I've noticed, like, quarter-inch holes, hundreds of them on the trunk, about eye level. Right. And I'm concerned about losing that nice tree. Well, the tree probably is okay. That's sap suckers. So, in other words, sap suckers, they hold onto the side of the trunk and, and then they just move over a little bit and then they're, you know, sap, you know, they're sap suckers. So, that's what's happening. Is it a bird or what is it? Yeah, it is a bird, yes. Look up sap suckers on the internet. Okay. And you'll and see. You, yeah. I did lose a white pine up front and I thought maybe that was the reason for that one, but. No, basically. The birds are smart enough that, you know, this is a food source for them. So they know even though there may be multiple sapsuckers coming, they kind of realize that we better watch out because if we do too much, we may kill this tree. So consequently, they're always going to be conscious of that, whether they're, you know, using their brain or just an instinct or whatever it happens to be. So whatever killed your white pine, there's several different kinds of diseases that are wiping out pines just in general through the region. Anthracnose is the main disease, and it started with Austrian pines, went to scotch, and then now it's, you know, impacting the uh, white pines. But uh, I'm not saying that's what got rid of or killed yours, but that's one of the things that kills it. And it's not going to be sap suckers. I appreciate it because I was concerned about it. It's a beautiful tree. Yeah, so just uh, look at sapsuckers online, then you can start watching for the birds. Okay, thank you very much. Yep, and now let's go from Chesterfield over to Centralia, Illinois, and into Shirley's yard. Hi, Shirley. Hi, good morning. How are you? Hi, um, very good. I have, I have a red maple. It's around 15 to 20 years old. And the trunk is about eight inch in circumference, and on about three feet up, there's a branch that extends, and it might be six to seven inches wide right now, and it then it breaks into a V with uh, two branches that are oh four or five inches, and my concern is that as that would get heavier and bigger, can I still cut part of that V off, or can I cut the hole off? Or is that too I would say, gone? no, no, no. I would say go ahead and remove it. But the because whole thing it is from the, the trunk on. 
Yeah, but let me explain the best way to go about doing this. Start at the end and start just cutting off two or three foot sections. So in other words, if you try to just cut it from, at the trunk, you're gonna, it's gonna end up, the weight of the branch is gonna end up tearing your bark and you don't want that to happen. So cut it off in sections all the way back and then your final cut, you're gonna have about a one or two foot section of the branch that you're removing left then you know, have somebody hold it up or you hold it up or whatever it happens to be and then make the cut where you're going to leave about a quarter inch or so stub and that's all. Don't leave a long stub or anything else. By leaving just a quarter inch you allow the cambium layer which is the layer that forms the scab over an open wound and don't put any pruning sealer, nothing like that on it because that stuff just doesn't do any good anymore because they took the lead out of it. So cut it off in sections with the final cut leaving a quarter inch stub next to the trunk. Okay, that sounds good. I have one other point. Um, I wanted to have a mimosa in my yard and I found some seeds so I planted it in a pot. Well right now it's maybe only six inches tall. Do you bring that in in the winter to make it last or it's kind of young to put it out in the ground, isn't it? Well, probably is it in a plastic pot? No, I have it in a clay pot. Well, that, it really doesn't matter. Plastic would be best. But anyway, just dig a hole someplace in your garden and drop the pot down into the hole, leaving about an inch or so of the top of the pot above the surrounding ground, and then just let it grow in the pot for a couple more years before you put it out in your landscape. Do I cover so you're, it with... So, with, no, you um, can put a little bit of one or two inches of mulch, that's all you need, but you're just dropping it down in a hole in a garden space or in a bed space or something like that. That will insulate the root system. Okay, I'll do that then. All right, you solved yeah. two problems. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, if you'd bring it inside, it'd be really unhappy, so don't do that. Well, now, I let's just go wanted to save it, so I didn't know what was best for it. Right. So that's the best thing to do. And just, like I said, grow it into a pot a couple years and just uh, then move it into your landscape once you've got a nice sunny location. Thanks, Shirley. And now let's go to Becky in St. Charles. Hi, Becky. Good morning. Um, I've got, I like to have a basil plant live on my kitchen windowsill, and I'm having some problems killing them off this year. Um, I, I just got some new ones from a nursery uh, that I have a lot of confidence in. And um, I got them home, and I cleaned my windowsill with some alcohol like he suggested I did, after, I do before I put these uh, out. And um, I noticed that the, the next morning there was a lot of um, debris on the window ledge that looked like a very fine-grained pepper. And... Um, a number of the leaves were kind of um, withered up, and uh, they were black and dried, and they, they hadn't been that way the night before. Um, I held them under my water faucet and washed them off some and sat them out on the counter and cleaned the window area again, but I, um, I'm still getting, a, even on the counter, I'm getting a couple of these grains of uh, these I'm assuming they're some kind of an insect, but they don't, they don't seem to move around. <laughs> but so I'm, I've pinched off all the leaves that seem to be withering up, and uh, I, I don't know what to do. I'm, I'm kind of frustrated. I really like having the, the fresh live basil. Have you and grown it, basil before in your window? Yes. 
And so you've had good success with it? I've had success with it. Um, the last basil that I got, um, I picked up at one of the, the uh, lumber company places that have, have plants in the summer. And um, those started uh, kind of crystallizing on me. They didn't turn yellow and, you know, w- die. They didn't wither up. The leaves just started t- turning a kind of silver gray. And then if you touched them, they kind of crumbled. And so I got rid of those, and I told the guy at the nursery about, you know, what had happened with, with those plants. I, I got two, and they both kind of did, did this. And um, he, he looked it up on the web, and he, he suggested that I clean my window and window ledge with um, alcohol, that he, he, it was a fungus. And <clears throat> so I did that before I put these, these uh, two new ones on my windowsill. So let me, I'm going to make a joke here. So you're growing your basil in pots. You're not just laying them on the windowsill. So in other words, I don't know how in the world a fungus could come off your window sill and get into your pots and cause problems that you're describing. That seems impossible. Usually fungus problems come with the plants. They don't, you know, I'm not saying it can happen, but as quickly as you're describing how these things happen, there's no way it can come off your window sill, your window, or anything else. So uh, I think, it, you know, are, are your basils, are they flowering? No. So they're no, not they're, in flower. They're in leaf. Um, they've and got, how tall are how tall are they? Well, these that I just got are probably uh, oh, at least six to nine inches tall. They're pretty good size. Look oh, on I the under yeah. Look on the underside of your leaf, and see if you see any kind of insects on the underside of the leaf. Usually, basil. Most of the herbs are pretty insect free. But I would say if you're having this kind of, let's say, anxiety, I would say give up on basil for this year because you've already tried it, you know, twice and you're really, let's say, upset overall with the performance of your basils. So just uh, give up. (laughs) Well, I like to use it for my cooking. (laughs) (laughs) Well, I think stores have basil. No, you can buy basil leaves and uh, you know other things, but I understand. I like pesto myself. I like basil a lot, but consequently, if you've had this kind of circumstance happen, either that or try putting your basil, either the plants you have, kind of the garden centers are running out of you know let's say things like basil, but right. uh, try under grow lights as opposed to in your window. But look on the underside of your leaf, because it sounds, if you're seeing little black spots there, it sounds like you're having, you know, some kind of, let's say, aphid or something along that line that's actually going to the bathroom. At first, I ask you if you have flowers on it, because it could have been the flowers dropping some seedlets, but, uh, or seeds, but, uh, you know, it doesn't sound like that's what you have. I don't think so, no. I'm, I'm assuming, yeah. I haven't had flower on base, flower on basil plants before, but... I'm assuming it would be something like uh, what you see on mint. Right. Kind of at, at the ends of the stems. Right. So okay. no, that's right, exactly where it would be. And They're so consequently, on... I would say get rid of these, get a grow light, try them under grow lights. Okay. All right. Thanks for the suggestion. Yeah, I don't understand. You know, the whole cleaning the windowsill with alcohol seems pretty wild. But uh, you tried it. So anyway.
Good luck, Becky. And uh, if your basil works out well, please save some for me so I can make some pesto. Thanks a lot. Mike Miller, KMOX Garden Hotline, back after these messages. Welcome back to the St. Louis Composting Garden Hotline. Once again, here's Mike Miller on KMOX. Yes, folks, we're broadcasting live and lively from St. Louis Composting Valley Park location on Elam Avenue right down here in Valley Park. It's uh, really off 141, very easy to find, and also just north of Highway 44. So let's go to Potosi and go into Bill's yard. Hi, Bill. Hey, Mike. How are you doing this morning? Very good. Hey, I got a question about apple trees. Uh, when's the best time to trim those things back, and how far back should they go? And Is there anything special you need to do to them when you trim them? First of all, how old are they? Oh, they're pretty old. They're kind of gotten out of hand. They're probably close to eight years old. Okay, so they're probably, if they were a standard size apple tree, then this is probably the age that they really start bearing a lot of fruit. And if they were semi-dwarf, then it would be a few years less than that. And truly dwarf apple trees, they're going to give you fruit, uh, you know, a few years less than that. But what you need to do is, if you enjoy seeing the flowers in the springtime, if that matters to you, do the pruning right after they flower. And what you want to do is you kind of want to make the branching go outward so it kind of looks like an upside-down umbrella. So in other words, that's how you can maximize the amount of fruit you're going to get. And also just watch out. I was at a house this past week. They had younger fruit trees, but they had so much fruit on them that this, they were starting to, I mean, cause the branches to bend and everything else. So you got to watch out about the weight. So go ahead, let them flower. And if you start seeing fruit set and you think it might be a little bit too much fruit on that particular branch of the tree, then take some of the fruit off. So uh, if, you're, if you're trimming in order to get more fruit and to make the tree smaller, uh, what do you do? You're not going to prune to get more fruit. Pruning doesn't give you more fruit. That's not, you know, you need to have the branches to produce the fruit. So if you cut the branches back, you're actually reducing the amount of flowers that's going to be there. So consequently, you're going to reduce the amount of fruit that's going to be, you know, produced. So selectively, right. any kind of branches that are crossing or anything like that, any suckers that are coming off the base of the trunk at the ground level, get rid of those. So anything that kind of looks like, it doesn't look like an umbrella, you know, upside down umbrella, just, you know, start clearing out that kind of stuff. Okay. All right. And that's I'll probably, you know, that's the best... Yeah, and I mean, some people, they, they let so much fruit get on these branches, they have to put, you know, pieces of lumber to support the branch so it doesn't cause cracking and things like that. You don't want to get to that point. That's just, you know, that's a little bit too crazy. But, uh, yeah, just, so they, you know, prune it, prune it so it's upside-down umbrella. Okay. The one tree is pretty huge. It's probably about 25 feet tall or so. Yeah. So that tree, these trees are kind of big. Yeah, these trees are kind of big to start a pruning process. But, you know, on something that big, I would probably just go ahead and start removing some of the crossing branches just to open it up. Okay. All right. Sounds All right. good. All right. Thanks, Bill. Oops. It looks like, sorry, Bill. Uh, Zachary from South City, how are you today? 
fantastic. If I had the time, I have so many things to ask you. Um, <laughs> this morning, I got some hydrangeas that are doing well, and they're the three to six foot tall variety. And two of them have so many blooms on them that it's, they're hanging down near to the ground. And I was wondering if I would tie those back and tie those up to a pole, if that'll help strengthen the base of the plant so it grows more upward and not as much out. Uh, that would help a little bit, but doing it this late, I wouldn't do it. You know, I would probably do it next year before as a new growth is just beginning. And uh, okay. you could always just, you know, and you, um, I don't know exactly what position these are in, but movement in wind, that's how the girth of trees and shrubs and everything else, that's how they increase the size of the branches or twigs coming up out of the ground. So if they're in a location where there's not much wind, this is just going to naturally happen, you know, regardless of what you do. Yeah, you can, okay. you know, let's say, p support them and bring them together or, you know, give them some support with bungee cords and poles and things like that. Just remember, if you pull these stems too close together, then they're not going to leaf out correctly, and that could cause a problem in and of itself. Okay, and one other question. I planted cannabulbs this year, and they've come up, and they've been beautiful. I've enjoyed them all season. But I'm told that I have to dig those out. Is that at, right before the first frost, or...? Well, you can do it whenever. You know, you could do it now if you wanted to because they're pretty much finished flowering and everything else. But there are, there are locations throughout the metropolitan area that people are leaving their cannas in the ground. They're putting a couple inches of mulch over the top of them, and then they're coming back the next year. So that, I'm not suggesting you do that. I have a lot of cannas myself. I always pull mine out. I, I don't want to do it after a frost because they get a little bit too mushy. So sometime you know, around a little bit before Halloween, I usually just chop them off, pull them out. I have mine growing in pots. Pull them up out of the pots, shake all this potting mix off of them, and then I put them in cardboard boxes and put newspaper layers in between them and just store those in the basement. Okay, wonderful. Well, that answered my question. Great. And uh, as far as storing them in the garage, I tried that a couple years. That worked fine for a couple years, but one year it got really, really cold. Then they all got frozen, so then it was just, you know, kind of a nightmare. So I only put half of them in the garage, half of them in the basement. So the half I put in the basement survived. The ones in the garage, like I said, turned into mush. So good luck, Zachary, and uh, see if we can get one more call in. Stu in Chessfield, can you do it kind of quick? Yes, sir. We moved into this house about 15 years ago, and we have an atrium with two ficus trees, both above 20 feet tall. Yikes. Our main ficus has a crown at least 30 feet across. This year, we started uh, noticing that we're losing a lot of leaves on a daily basis. Some are uh, yellowish, some are fully green. And we're wondering what might be happening to our two ficuses. I think they're just getting old. There's not enough you know, sunlight and everything else for it to support the amount of leaves it's pushing out. So the dropping of the leaves, you know, the, the non-green ones, is somewhat normal, and especially if you have some that are this large. But the green ones, the trees, just isn't, it doesn't have enough energy to support the leaves. That's why it's pushing them off. Fertilizer, because they're in front of... Um, two-story windows uh, all the way across. 
Yeah, but so that still doesn't matter. Fertilizers, fertilizer is not going to help. It's not, that's not the, really the answer. The size of the pot, the amount of moisture, and they're everything else. Oh, yeah, oh no, they're in the ground? no basement floor there. They're, okay, so, but still, it's just, you know, they're just getting old. They're getting past their prime is what's happening. Uh, do we have to take them out, or...? Well, you don't necessarily have to. Just understand if you don't, probably next year you're going to have more leaf drop, more leaf drop, more leaf drop. Even if they're in the ground, there's still going to be a limited amount of root system that they have to be able to support the above ground growth. Thank so you, Mike. thanks, Stu. Yep. Mike Miller, KMWAX Garden Hotline. We are live and lively at St. Louis Composting Valley Park location. If you have any questions or concerns, give us a call after the news. KMOX is at your service. Welcome to the St. Louis Composting Garden Hotline. Now, here's your host, Mike Miller on KMOX. Speaking of St. Louis Composting, what a coincidence. That's where we're live and lively from. We're at the location, which is Valley Park. That's the headquarters. You should see this palace. No, I'm kidding. But anyway, if you'd like to come by, somebody came by and actually... He wanted to, he did some seeding and core aeration and he came by to get some mulch. He didn't want to rent the uh, mulch spreader that they have here, but uh, he's going to have somebody else do it for him. But he got the mulch to do it. Anyway, locations all over the metropolitan area. There's obviously this one in Valley Park where we're broadcasting from. St. Louis City Facility, Pacific Facility, Belleville Facility, Florissant, and Maryland Heights. So, uh, Check, you know, if you're going to pick up some products or anything else. It stopped raining here in Valley Park. I don't know about the rest of the metropolitan area. But if you want to go by and pick up some product from them, call the location to make sure, you know, everything's good. They can get you ready and load it up. And uh, this broadcast, well, Ryan's doing the engineering. And back in studio is Greg and Zach. They're doing the producing of the show. So when you call... They'll just ask you for your name and where you're calling from, and that's about it. So tip of the trowel is the second hour of the Garden Hotline. I'll be giving the tip in a few seconds. But thanks for having me on your show. Remember, if you were not there, I would not be here. If you have any questions, concerns, or comments about your landscape or things you've seen or anything else, 314-436-7900 or 1-800-925-1120. We can talk about your annuals. Yes, your annuals still should be doing very, very well. They don't need major cutbacks, I wouldn't think, if you've kept fertilizing them and everything else. If you bought some spring flowering bulbs, do not plant them yet. Just keep them, keep them in a dry location, out of the sun and everything else, and wait for another, really, probably you... You know, I think the end of after Halloween, that's when I like to plant my bulbs. Your edibles, your vegetable gardens, your tomatoes and your peppers downhill, but your broccoli and cauliflower, they're headed to the highlands. And your ground covers, house plants, tropicals, lawns, perennials, roses, trees, shrubs, vines, or water gardens. Please remember my answers, comments, and opinions are strictly offered as an option for you to try to think about to see if it's going to help. But my way is not the only way by any means. I'm Mike Miller. I've been hosting the Garden Hotline since 1994. I've written five gardening books. Two are currently available in various locations. And I write articles for the Missouri Gardener magazine. If you're considering changes in your landscape, your, you know, let's say your garden, your yard, or whatever it happens to be, or problem solving, aesthetics, it doesn't matter, you can have me come to your home and do a walk and talk. 
what I call as walk and talks where I make a site visit to your home. You can go to www.mikemillerdesigns.com on the homepage. That's where my phone number and email address is. And uh, guess what? We can start doing a walk and talk. Actually, after the show today, I'm headed to Winsville to do a walk and talk. Today's tip of the trial, a special recognition for individual group or a situation that's made an impression on me, is brought to you by St. Louis Composting, 636-861-3344. Today's tip of the trial goes out to... Boy, there's a lot of events right now. I don't know, how, you know what's happening in Clayton, but the Clayton Art Fair, that's one of Tracy and my favorites, as well as the one over in the Belleville Square. So, man, oh man, hopefully things will get dried out. We'll probably head over, if it is tomorrow, then we'll probably head to the Clayton Art Fair. And also, tip of the trial goes out to the Webster Groves Herb Society. They're having their autumn herb gathering. That's going to be next month, October 6th, from 9 to 2 from Rolling Ridge Nursery, and that is in Rolling Ridge. No, it's in Webster Groves, Rolling Ridge. Ha! But so again, the Autumn Herb Gathering. So the lady that was having trouble with her basil, maybe she should go to the Autumn Herb Gathering, and uh, that's at Rolling Ridge Nursery in Webster Groves. Webster Groves Herb Society is going to have the big sale, and people will have all kinds of information. So I'm still a little bit confused by you know, what was happening with her. And the, going back to the gentleman, we, which we had to cut off because we had to go to the news, with the, the big ficus trees in his landscape or in his atrium that were planted in the ground, uh, you know, I mean, trees do get old inside and outside both, but if they're dropping green leaves, again, I'm going to reemphasize that. And that's any tree, any, you know, whether it's a maple tree or a ficus tree inside of an atrium or anything else, green leaf drop is not a good sign. That's just like, the, you know, the trees, it can't handle all the leaves. It's not ha it doesn't have enough food energy. So I'm going to reiterate this too. Nutrients and moisture come up from the root system, go up to the leaves, then the leaves use sunlight to make chlorophyll. Chlorophyll is food for the plant. So obviously there's not enough chlorophyll being produced for the tree to hold on to these leaves. So it could be an aging factor. It could be several different things. Fertilizing is not necessarily, when some, something's not really, let's say, healthy, fertilizing doesn't necessarily make it healthy. Probably what I should have mentioned, I didn't have a chance to, is maybe getting some compost and working it into the ground, just like you would do for a tree outside. So in other words, Take a hand trowel, dig it, you know, dig down a little bit, and put some compost in that hole, and then put, you know, the soil that you dug out, and just cover it back up and mix it in together. So, in other words, enrich your soil. The soil, even if you've been fertilizing, may just be exhausted. So re-energize your soil with adding some compost, even if it's an atrium inside or you're certainly your trees outside. Let's go now to St. Louis County and see what's going on with Jennifer. Jennifer, how are you? Good. How are you, Mike? Thanks Very for good. your show. Um, my question is, I moved into a house a couple years ago, and I think what I have in my backyard is a rhododendron bush. And it was beautiful when I moved in, but every year it has bloomed less and less, and it's very leggy. And I'm wondering if I can cut it back. I mean, the branches you cut it back. are quite thick. Yeah. yeah. Basically, rhododendrons... They don't do really do all that well here. There's going to be some that are really big, huge, massive, but there's a lot of them that have not even made it through past the first year or two. Some that have grown to a certain point, and you know they 
they just, they, you know, what's going on with it? If you cut it back, you're going to cut it back to the point where there's no leaves probably back on it. So again, that goes back to what I was talking about. Plants need to have foliage. Foliage, and you know, it doesn't matter if it's evergreen or deciduous, foliage is what makes food. And so if you remove a lot of the leaves, then that's not gonna help it overall. I would say it's probably on its downhill slide, and I'm not saying to take it out, but just realize that you know, this might be the age, might be the end of its life, especially if it's as large as what you're describing. Okay, thank you. Yeah, and so fertilizing or anything else like that. And that's, you know, from my experience when I worked at the Botanical Garden and English Woodland Garden, there was some large rhododendrons around Tower Grove House. There was some other ones in various areas that were my responsibility beside the exact woodland garden. And it was just, you know, they looked fine. But as I went back a couple years after I left, you could see that they were in the, you know, sort of the downhill decline. So thanks, Jennifer. And now, well, we better take a break. Mike Miller, KMOX Garden Hotline, back after these messages. This is the St. Louis Composting Garden Hotline with your host, Mike Miller, on KMOX. Yes, folks, we're live and lively from the headquarters of St. Louis Composting here in Valley Park. They've got locations throughout the metropolitan area. If you want information on those locations, well, you can just give them a call, 636-861-3344. Is that right, 44? Yes, of course, that's right. Florence lives in Troy, Missouri. Florence, how are you today? I'm fine. Thank you, Mike, for taking my call. Sure. Uh, I have two questions about Shooting Star. A couple of years ago, I planted a few bulbs, and they have grown. And this year, I had a clump of about 25 blossoms. And the stalks are real tall, and they're bending over. And I need to know, do I cut them off now? And how will I... And how and when will I separate bulbs because my flower bed is small and they're growing to a pretty good size clump. So I'm going to have to uh, cut down on the size of them. So when do you dig up bulbs and replant them? Now, when did they, are they finished blooming? Yes. Okay. So basically any time after they finish blooming and your foliage has completely or started to turn, discolor and turn yellowish, then you can dig them up at that time. So you, got, you can do it you know, from that time you know, all the way up until the new growth begins next year. So, and there, you know, I mean, there shouldn't, I don't know if you're going to need any help digging them up or not. Just make sure that when you dig them up, that you probably dig up, if you can, the entire clump and then separate the bulbs and decide how many you want to put back in the place. Okay, thank you. I, I've not had such success with them before, so I really didn't know quite how to handle it. Well, if you've had that kind of great success this year, maybe you shouldn't dig them up. Maybe you should just sacrifice some space for something else now and just you know, revel in the idea that you're going to have great plant material with great flowers. They were beautiful. Yes. yes. Thank you, Mike. Thank you, and now let's go... For- from Troy to High Ridge and see what's going on in Terry's yard. Hi, Terry. I just have some quick questions. I've got a volunteer red bud that I have been helping along, and I want to move it to a different spot. Is now a good time to do that? If you're going to do it relatively quickly, just make sure you water it really well the night before and then dig it up and have the location that you're moving it to ready so it can be just more or less set right into the garden space. 
Okay. Or the yard or landscape or whatever. Pardon me? Is there any other better time to do this? Uh, in essence, you've really got, once the foliage starts, wait until the foliage starts turning colors or dropping, and then you do it before the new growth begins. Or you can just, you know, if you, if you get it moved now, it's, it's fine, because that way in the new location, and it probably, you may lose a few of the flower buds that are on it. I don't know if it's flowered yet or not for you. No, it's but, little. You know, okay, so it's really little. So you sure you want to move it to another location? Oh, yes. It's growing right next to the house. And I thought, well, I won't be out any money if I just yeah. put it somewhere else. Yeah, I just basically, you can either do that, put it in a new location in the ground, or as I continue to say, when we've got small little things like this, getting a pot, a plastic, black plastic nursery pot, one gallon size, at a garden center, putting it into the plastic pot with the you know, potting mixes, and just sinking that pot into a hole in the ground. And it's much easier in, you know, to grow plants in pots than it is in the ground, weather-wise and everything else. That's Can why production question? nurseries always have them growing in pots for the most part. Okay. Um, I'll take that in consideration. And then can I ask you another question about an established oak tree? It's probably 40, 45 years old, maybe 50, I'm mm. not sure. Um, nice, mature tree, and this summer the top half went brown, totally brown, in about two weeks. The bottom half Ooh. is fine. So we talked to an arborist, and they said, let's wait till next spring. But I didn't know. Do you have any other thoughts on that? No, it's a little tough to tell. I mean, if the guy was in the, you know, actually there and seeing it, but the top of it, the whole top died and within two weeks. Right. That it's sounds, it. yeah, that sounds like something, you know, like a major situation. Did he get up into the tree or was he just kind of looking at it from the ground? No, he didn't get up there. Um, because it sounds like to me there's a major crack or something in the top of the tree because, I mean, it has to be something physical for the foliage to turn you know, discolor that quickly. So it's not going to be a disease. It's not going to be insects. It's not going to be anything. It had to be some physical damage due to, you know, windstorms or something like that. I think he's right in waiting till next year to see if the thing's going to leaf out, but probably plan on the idea that you may have to have the whole top removed. Well, and that's, it's in a, it's a big tree. And if it falls, it will um, definitely impact the house. So it, Yikes. That's, that's a good thought. Yeah, because I, I would be a little concerned, especially if it, it could potentially impact your home, your car, your driveway, or anything else. Yeah, no, it'll just take the house, but just split it down the middle, basically. <laughs> <laughs> that tree's not that important. <laughs> All righty, thank you very much. Yep, and now let's go to Gary in Collinsville. Gary, how are you? Uh, pretty good. Uh, good morning. I've got a couple questions on my asparagus. I thought I heard you a couple weeks ago say that you can trim the tops off. I thought uh, I was told or I listened to, to your uh, show that uh, wait until it dies back to trim it. And then on my knockouts, uh, they're just going through their, I guess, their last flush of uh, roses. Can I still fertilize them? And uh, when is the best time to uh, to trim them back, this winter or before the new foliage? Then my last question is, I have a dogwood, and, and I planted it in the middle of June. It was given to me, and all the leaf tips of the leaves are turning brown, every one of them. Is that from overwatering, not, not enough watering? 
It could be either one. If, you're, if you've been overwatering too much, then it could be that. It could be just a result of that dry spell that we had. But if just the tip of the leaf, don't worry about that. Your knockout roses, no fertilizer on them at this, from this point forward. And let the rose hips form so it'll be like little round balls that kind of look like flower buds, only they're you know actually spin flowers. And uh, let's see, I can't remember your other questions, to be honest with you. Asparagus, when to turn it back. Oh, the asparagus. Yeah, don't, I mean, you can, once, a, once they, you know, they, they'll open up and flower. You know, you've harvested them before they, actually, those tips that we eat that we really like are actually potentially flowers. Once they finish flowering, you can cut them all the way back down to the ground. So, okay, I mean, it looks like a big fern out there right now. I yeah, mean, exactly, uh, right. So once they get to that point, they're kind of pretty much finished for this season. So you can cut them back down to a couple inches. So the asparagus, and then you had one other question. Um, that, that was it. Uh, just that uh, I thought that give it give the roots nutrients and stuff um, before I cut them back. Because I thought before you told me to wait until they died off, then turn the tops off. I mean, I, around June, I quit, quit picking the, the vegetable itself. Or the, right. Whatever. So they've had, you know, basically three months since then to build the root systems back up. So I'm not saying you have to do it now. You can wait. But, you know, if they were you know, causing you grief or something else like that, you could cut them back now. That's, that's what I was wanting to know. Yeah, I'd rather cut them back because with this wind and all this rain now, they're just blowed over and right. it just looks like a mess out in my garden. Yeah, and it's, you know, it's, it's not really going to help them that much you know, once we get to this point where the days are getting shorter and shorter and shorter, we're really kind of at the, you know, we've only got one more week of summer and then we're really into fall. And that doesn't mean all that much, except the fact that the days get shorter and shorter and shorter and shorter all the way up till December 22nd. Okay. Thank you. That's what I wanted to know. Great. And now let's go from Collinsville to South City. Michelle, how are you? I'm good. Thank you. I have a question go ahead. about a willow tree. Mm -hmm. and it's it's about two years old, and it's actually my daughter's yard in Afton, and then they got a puppy, and the puppy got big and decided it would be fun to strip the bark off the willow tree. So it killed a bunch of the branches going up, in fact, almost all of them, but then it's branching out from the trunk now, and there's probably a good 20 new branches coming out from the trunk. A few are still leafing at the top of the tree, but not too many, and those are all completely dead. So my question is, is this worth saving this tree? Will it grow up to be a normal willow tree? Let me think. Dwiz and dwaz and dwaz and dwon. Did you send me an email with a picture of this? I did. I did. <laughs> yeah, I, I just didn't get around to, to answering it. Basically, you don't want a, a willow tree coming out with that many branches, you know, at the base, at the ground, because it's going to be a nightmare. They're problematic in many other ways, but I would say this tree should probably just be replaced. Okay. I was afraid of that. Yeah, I mean, you don't have to. What you can do is just leave it alone, cut that top off that, you know, just has a few leaves on it, get rid of that entirely, and then just let all the side branches that are coming out of the base grow, and then selectively, whichever ones are the most aggressive, you know, you're going to actually turn that into the major trunk, and then, you know, remove a lot of them. But anything more than two or three branches off a willow tree that would become the trunk, I'd be a little bit concerned with. Okay, 
All right. Well, we'll see what we can do. All right. Great. <laughs> so I'm fine. glad. Yeah. I thought right. I had visions of this and dwiz and dwaz and dwaz and dwaz. I anyway. know. I'm like, this just doesn't look very normal. No, it's going to be trouble. Okay. All right. Thanks, Mike. Yep, and now let's go to, uh, now we better take a break. Mike Miller, KMOX Garden Hotline. Welcome back to the St. Louis Composting Garden Hotline. Once again, here's Mike Miller on KMOX. Yes, folks, we're going to be going to the phones. Mary Jo from Escuda in a few seconds, but right now joining me is Sarah. Sarah is one of the big wheels here at St. Louis Composting. I was talking to her about her favorite location, of course, Valley Park. No, she likes them all. She travels to all of them, and you can go to all of them, too. You could get some compost from every location and check it out and see if it's well done here, there, and every place else. I guarantee you it's all going to be well done. So, Sarah, what's going on? Rain has stopped. So a few people are coming by. Yeah, a few people are coming by, getting loaded up with the STA certified field and turf compost to top dress their lawns. It's right. that time of year. Absolutely. And also I see that you have dumping fees. So if you have you know bags of uh, yard waste and things like that, please remember that if you have them in plastic bags, St. Louis Composting wants you to dump the stuff out of the plastic bag once you get here. So And then take the plastic bags with you. So they don't want that kind of problem. But Patrick Garrity, who is the founder and owner or whatever of St. Louis Composting, you said he's in... In Seattle, correct? Yeah, he's in Seattle right now. And what they're trying to do is see if there's some way to work some plastic into the compost world? We're working on a certified um, line called CMA plastics, so it'll be certified compostable plastics that we can take in our, our site and just process it and break down properly. So it's specific types of plastics. So Correct. in other words, it's compo- yeah, it can be composted. Right. So it's, it, it's not like that crazy stuff you see in the ocean where they take those satellite pictures, the things the size of Texas or something along <laughs> that line. Yeah, there's a lot of greenwashing out there, so we want to try and stop that. Great. Well, that's great. And that's the neat thing about Patrick. I'm sure all the company gets together and thinks of these things. But yeah, this is probably the next step because plastic is going to sooner or later you know, kind of fall off the edge of reality mm-hmm. as and so this compo- compostable plastics is a great way yeah so thanks sarah okay, thank you yep and now mary joe in muscoot illinois how are you today told you last week about uh, a two or three year old blue spruce that i have and uh my daughter uh julianne uh drove some um job's fertilizer spikes in the ground uh, in April sometime, and I, it, on the package it recommends that you also do that in the fall, but you told me that I, I shouldn't uh, do that in the fall, and I was wondering why. Basically, what can happen is if you feed late and we have an extended, let's say, warm period of time, the fertilizer could melt. It could trigger some, let's say, the nutrients going up through the root system, and it might force some of the, let's say, candles, the tips of your of the spruce tree, to open slightly. So that's the reason why I don't like to fertilize until we get into the colder weather. Now, late fall, early winter, midwinter, late winter, that's fine. But basically, early fall, you know, I just, don't, I just don't think it's a good idea. You could do it. I mean, and you could call back and, you know, next year or something and say, you don't know what you're talking about, which is great. And, but uh, I'm just thinking that's not the best way to do it because 
Even Job spikes, they're going to start dissolving, you know, especially if we have rain like this, and it might cause some out-of-sequence out of growth. That was my concern. I see. And what was it that you re recommended that I sprinkle around the ground? Basically, uh, compost. So in other words, not just sprinkle it on top. You could just sprinkle it on top of the ground, but if you can get somebody or yourself with an electric drill, an earth auger, which is a big size drill, and just start augering some holes, concentric circle all the way around, about six inches deep, and backfill those holes with compost, then that's going to feed your soil. And then routinely what happens is the soil like translates fertilizer into something you know, that actually the trees, plants, or whatever it happens to be can use. But you also recommended some kind of um, sprinkle, some kind of sulfate or sulf, something sulfur? Iron sulfate, just to keep it a... Iron? To keep this iron, I-R-O-N, sulfate, S-U-L-F-A-T-E. So iron sulfate just to keep the soil acidic around the spruce. And, and uh, you, you just work that into the ground or what? Yeah, yeah, you can either rake the soil and put it down and then just water it in. Well, I have grass growing around my blue spruce, so how, how do I work that into the ground with the grass there? Well, your grass doesn't probably go up to the trunk, does it? And even if it does, it's not going to hurt your lawn. Well, just put it right, right close to the trunk then? Put it halfway out from the trunk to however far the branches are. Oh, so okay. thanks, Mary Jo, and now Pat, let's go to Pat in St. Peter's. Hi, Pat. Hi. Uh, thanks for taking my call. Uh, sure. I bought last, last spring I went to a garden center, and I bought some, like, wooden frames that had little succulents stuck in. Really attractive. And we hung them on an outside wall in our, on our house, and I, I totally didn't expect this to happen, but they thrived. They did really, they're doing really well. They look great. So I don't know what to do with them. Like, what do you do with them when the weather changes here? <laughs> well, these are probably not hardy type succulents. So my guess is they're more like the ones that, uh, you know, can grow in Southern California, Florida, Texas, and, and areas like that where the weather doesn't get severe. If you leave them outside, they're just going to freeze. So you can bring them inside if you want to, or just let them freeze and get some new ones for next year. Oh, okay. Next question is about a fern. I bought the same the same place uh it's a very large fern it's not a boston fern i can't remember what it is but uh i put it on a screened in porch and i thought well that thing will be dead in three weeks and it's just going to town what do i do with that <laughs> I'm not if you <laughs> well, obviously, you listen to the garden hotline. Ho, 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 ho. No, basically, with, with ferns, if you bring them inside and they're tropical type ferns, which this sounds like it actually is, uh, it's going to drop all kinds of stuff on the inside of your house. So, this again is something that you could go ahead and bring it inside, put it in a sunny window, even though they say ferns want shade, blah, blah, blah. In the wintertime, they got to have as much light as they possibly can and, you know, either set it on a table or whatever and rotate it about every week so you always get some light on all the fronds all the way around it if you don't the back side is going to lose all the leaflets off of it and turn really ugly but or you can just go ahead and enjoy it take a picture take a selfie impress all your friends and say see i've become a success and then consequently get a new one there you go. Yeah, so it's kind of extendable if you don't want them that. Yes, right? exactly. Okay. It's kind of like annuals. 
So in other words, okay. you, you don't bring all your begonias in, you don't bring your petunias in, you don't bring all your annuals because right. it's, too, it's too crazy. So just consider these things sort of like annuals. Oh, okay. And one more quick. Uh, I love mums, and I want to get some for my yard. I, I leave them in the pot, and I just set them out, and they look great. Uh, how, how long do they last? I mean, I, I want, obviously, you want moons on them. Um, and I right, like so, them to last through October. Uh, if you want them to last through October, that's kind of a real, ooh, we just had a flash of electricity or something here. But anyway, they got to be in really, really, really tight bud because generally once the flowers start opening up and once the flowers fully open, you're going to get about uh, 10 to 14 days of flower before they start going downhill. Okay. All right. So if I want them to go into October, well, I should wait a couple weeks here, right? Either that or get them with the buds really, really tight that are not showing any color at all. Okay. All right. Okay. Well, thank you so much for your help. Sure. And now let's go to Ed, and Ed lives in Oakville. Hi, Ed. Hi. How you doing? Very I, good. I got, a, I got about a 35-foot magnolia tree, and I was wondering what the best uh, time to trim that. And also, um, do you trim it at the, at the um, trunk, or you, can you trim it out farther, too? Uh, is it an evergreen magnolia or a deciduous? No, you know, I don't know what the difference is. It's evergreen. It blooms all year, so, yeah. So. Well, uh, evergreen means the leaves stay on it all year. Deciduous means it loses its leaves in the fall slash early winter. No, it loses them in the summertime. Yeah. So it loses all, not in the summertime, just it drops. So, in other words, the leaves look like plastic. Right, uh-huh. So you don't want to, on any kind of tree, you don't want to just stub any of the branches back. Because what that does is mean that the branches you're doing that to are no longer going to have any sunlight hitting them. And so consequently, because of the branches that are around them are longer than that, so then they're not going to help with the overall health of the tree. And the tree's going to compartmentalize them and kill that branch off. So you're better off with longer branches, cut them off in sections. In the final cut, whether it's going into the trunk or the, another larger branch, cut it back so there's about a quarter-inch stub. Okay. And what's, what's the best time of year to do that? Uh, it depends upon, what, you know, kind of your own personal circumstance. You can really do it any time coming out of, let's say, probably after the Ides of March, mid-March or something like that, just before the new growth begins. Uh-huh. Can you, I mean, can you do it in, uh, like, around December, or is that a good time or not a good time? Well, you can do it. It's just, you know, we never know what our weather's going to be like. So you cut, let's say, X amount of branches off, and then consequently we have a severe winter, and you could have some branch killed because they are hardy trees, but they're still prone to winter damage if we get severe cold. So that's the disadvantage of doing it going into winter. I always like to do, you know, especially on evergreens, coming out of wintertime. And especially evergreens that bloom in the summer, which this magnolia tree does. Okay, so it'd be better off trimming it like in, in March or April than, rather than, yeah. than that now. Or before the, before the new growth begins. So sometime after Valentine's Day, Ides of March, something like that. But before you start to see some new growth, you know, coming out of, from a foliage standpoint. Yeah, you know, I'm usually out of town until April. Would I be better off doing it now then? Uh, I probably would not, but it's up to you. Okay. How come I you're pruning it? You, well, it's got it's it's got some really low branches on it right now, and you can't really get underneath it. It's pretty, um, you know, they're pretty big, and they're they're you know they're 
four foot off the ground or three foot off the ground, and they're 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 big, you know. So yeah. yeah so, so, in other words, these are long branches. Cut them off in sections with the final cut at the trunk. You know, it's just leaving a quarter inch. Okay. All right. Thank you. Yep. And Mike Miller, KMOX Garden Hotline, back after the. This is the St. Louis Composting Garden Hotline with your host, Mike Miller, on KMOX. Oh, Sarah, Sarah's twisting my arm. Ow, ow. I forgot to say St. Louis Composting does deliver. So, but not just single bags and stuff like that. I mean, be real. So call if you want some delivered and find out if they'll deliver to you. And ask if they'll bring a Frappuccino as well. Let's go to Chris in Cottleville. Hi, Chris. Hi, Mike. Good morning. Hi. I got two yards that have been decimated uh, grass, uh, but for different reasons. One is lack of water, whatever. The other one is I had a deck built on the back of the house, and I let the grass grow high, but still by walking on it and storing materials, it looks like brown shag carpet. Uh, I, I have a course of action, which I'd like for you to listen to on both yards. One would be dethatch then aerate and put compost down and then put triple Sounds 12 perfect. fertilizer then put the no seed fertilizer down. no no no, no. Fertilizer. don't do triple 12 don't do triple 12 triple 12 is an agricultural fertilizer that's a you know it's a fast reactor so don't do that get a seed starter type fertilizer okay so i'm okay with dethatching aerate and compost then fertilizer right right and then seed then lightly rake it and then water it. Is that the no, course of action on both yards? Yeah, that's fine. But uh, you know, put the seed down before you put the compost down. And then oh. you don't really have to rake. So you don't, there's no reason to rake. Okay. What's the fertilizer again, Mike, I should be using? It's a seed starter. So it'll say right on the bag. So in other words, it has the exact type of nutrient levels and everything for newly germinated seed. Triple 12 is just, is too fast reacting. Okay. Uh, how thick should I put the compost down? Uh, any place between a quarter and a half inch. Is that something I can put down with the spreader if it's fine enough? Yeah, if it's fine enough or you can just, you can kind of dump it or just throw it out with a shovel. And then if you get kind of big piles of it, you know, with throwing it out or however you end up doing it, turn like a garden rake, not a leaf rake, upside down and rake it. Not with the tines, with just to smooth it out and spread it. Okay. Uh, Would this work on my yard as one of them, that the grass is so thick it looks like brown shag carpet? Can I still do this process there also? Yeah, you might. It's Yeah, I mean, that's exactly what you're trying to renovate the whole thing. Okay. All right. Thank you very much. Yep. And now let's go to High Ridge in the Gary's yard. Hi, Gary. Hi, Mike. Hey, I had a question for you, okay? My mom lives on a bluff overlooking the Merrimack River, okay? And there's this cottonwood tree down there. And all I'm going to say, it's about 100 feet tall. The diameter, are you ready for this, is 12 feet. Is there any way you can tell, like, how old a tree is besides, you know, like, counting the rings or whatever? Like, <laughs> Well, you could, you could probably go online and just, uh, I mean, look at the diameter of a cottonwood tree. It could probably give you a, a rough estimate. 
you know, more so. Yeah, counting the rings, I mean, I tried to do that even as a kid when we'd cut trees in the woods just for the heck of cutting right. trees. And it's just like, no way. So, I mean, you, cottonwoods are, I mean, along the ways that I walk, there's some pretty huge cotton cottonwoods in there. They're relatively fast growing. They get a lot of girth to the trunk. So it may be, you know, massively old, or you could just maybe go to uh, County Extension, University of Missouri County Extension in Jefferson County and see what they think about a tree of this size and see what they would give an estimate for the age. Oh, okay, yeah, because this is the biggest tree I've ever seen in Missouri. It's just right. warts everything else, you know. So, yeah, that, that's all I had. I, I was just wondering, like, if it's like a couple hundred years old or something. I don't know. Yeah, it's probably not that old. But, uh, you know, it's, it's substantial. There's no getting around it. Well, thanks, Gary. Jenny from St. Louis, how are you? Hi, Mike. Uh, can you Hi. talk a little bit about aerating? We've never done that, but our yard looks good, but we want to do that this year, and I'm not real sure what to do after he does that. Basically, if you're just aerating and you're not putting any seed down or anything else, still you want to core aerate, so that's a machine not something that just sticks tines into the ground. A machine that takes like wine bottle corks out of the ground, then you want to spread some compost over the top of that so the compost drops in those holes from the aeration. Okay, and if he does want to seed a little bit? Uh, then just do the core aeration, then put the seed down, then the compost. Okay, and that's it? Okay, and that's it's it. still okay to do that this year or? Are we too yeah, late? as long as you have a cool season lawn, you're not doing this on Zoiza, I'm assuming. That's correct. Okay, so then you're fine. Okay. All right, great. Thanks for the help. Bye. Yep, Tom in St. Louis County, you got to do it rather quickly. Yes, I have a, uh, a, a trumpet a bush, you know, for like uh, uh, how many birds? Yeah, and so I, it has orange flowers, trumpet creeper. Yeah. Right. And I got all of these, uh, looks like cigars. What, what are those good for? What should I do with them? <laughs> well, basically that's seeds. So, uh, just, you can either just get rid of them or do whatever you want to. It doesn't really matter. I mean, some of them will drop and germinate on their own. And, uh, that's probably what you're looking at. All right. But I, I got, you know, 40 or 50 of them on, on this tree. Will they, can I give them people to uh, make this bush? Yeah. I mean, I, you know, a lot of the vines that I have in my own yard, let's say I have a hyacinth bean vine. Tracy and I were up in a winery, and uh, they had some hyacinth beans, which is a vine that has, you know, purplish flowers, and it gets these purple pods because it's in the bean family. So I gathered some seeds. This was probably 15 years ago. I'm still, using, you know, getting new seeds every year that I'm planting it, and probably my hyacinth bean vine, you know, from growing it from seed, is probably like 25 feet long and maybe six or seven feet high. Well, so, I, yeah, I, you can grow them. I usually cut this bush back. Uh, to almost, uh, you know, small things, and then it right. comes back every some every year. Yeah, that's, the trumpet creeper is a very tough vine, so it works very well. So thanks, Tom. Thanks to everybody for calling in. I greatly appreciate it. And thanks to the people here at St. Louis Composting for having us out. Bagels and donuts and drinks, oh my. So St. Louis Composting for all your organic needs. 
Mike Miller, I will see you next week. This episode is brought to you by Progressive Insurance. Whether you love true crime or comedy, celebrity interviews or news, you call the shots on what's in your podcast queue. And guess what? Now you can call them on your auto insurance too with the Name Your Price tool from Progressive. It works just the way it sounds. You tell Progressive how much you want to pay for car insurance, and they'll show you coverage options that fit your budget. Get your quote today at Progressive.com to join the over 28 million drivers who trust Progressive. Progressive Casualty Insurance Company and Affiliates. Price and coverage match limited by state law.